Amen. We are here to worship the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet as we sing together? Join with me singing about our blessed Savior. There is a truth older than the ages. There is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us. Like a lion, you bled as the lamb. 
be seated. First Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What an example. To stand there with us in the fire. To go with us through those storms. Amen? God is good. Can we go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll do announcements? Let's pray. God, thank you for all you do to bless us each and every day. God, sometimes we forget just to thank you for all that you do for us. God, I know there are people here in this room who need to feel your comfort. God, they're going through a fire right now. And God, I pray you'd let them feel your presence in a special way. That you would give them peace. The scripture says that goes beyond our understanding. That the Holy Spirit would be with them, God. For this service this morning. God, we want you to be here. Yeah, it's important for us to meet together with your body. To be here with your church. But God, we want you to be here. We want you to speak to our hearts today. God, use our pastor in the words that he says and the things that he studied today to, to challenge us. God, that you would speak to our hearts today. Help us to worship you. God, we thank you again, God, for all you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to welcome our guests that are with us today. If you're a guest, we ask you to please take a care card. They're located in the pew rack there in front of you. Uh, we'd like for you to fill that in, uh, to have a record of you being here. There are places there you can also ask for information. Uh, and then on the back of the care card is uh, for all of us, including our guests, uh, to fill in any prayer requests that you might have. Uh, the staff wants to be praying for you. Uh, last week, um, just a quick testimony of that, um, had a young couple here fill in. Want to know more about becoming a Christian? Um, have talked to them. We're supposed to meet Wednesday and talk about what it means to be a believer. And Jesus, you praying about that, uh, that, that God would move on their hearts and they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we don't take those things lightly. If there are questions you have about our church, uh, the staff does get those and want to be, to be praying for you and getting that information in your hands. So please take a moment to do that. As you leave, there are two boxes on the small round tables in the lobby. You can leave those there, and we'll make sure uh, that the right folks get those. So please take a moment to do that. We do have some exciting news from our personnel committee. Uh, they will be presenting uh, a candidate uh, for our director of children's ministry next Sunday, August 28th at 5 o'clock, right here in the worship center. And then we'll have a vote the following Sunday in the AM service on September 4th. And so that's coming. And so we're excited about that. We're excited about the candidate and to be able to present them to you uh, and see this vital ministry continue uh, in the children and preschool areas. 
we have a ladies event coming up uh, you can do it part two on September 8th at 6.30. Tickets are $5. There are classes on gardening, uh, photography, cooking, uh, Christmas tree decorating. You can sign up in the foyer today. The cost is $5 for those tickets. Our Awana open house is Wednesday, August 31st at 6.30. Uh, this is for our children that are three years old through fifth grade. Parents, if you can come by, uh, you can get information on those different classes and their handbooks and just the vests and different uniforms they have. Uh, but again, that's August 31st uh, down in the core at 6.30. There's also going to be a, falls, a fall ladies Bible study, uh, God of Covenant by Jen Wilkin. Uh, it is $15 uh, at the first meeting. You can just bring your money then. First meeting is Thursday, September 15th. There's a 10 a.m. group and also a 6.30 p.m. group. You can sign up for that in the foyer. Choir will be starting Christmas music. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, come on Wednesday night in the worship center from 6.40 to 8 o'clock. Jonathan would love to have you come and be a part of the choir. And then there's a new ministry beginning called Grief Share. It begins on August 23rd. It is $20 to cover the workbook, and that begins uh, on August 23rd at 9, uh, 9.30 in the morning. And there'll be ladies in the foyer back in this area if you're interested in more information on that. And then, men, don't forget our Be Strong Conference at Snowbird, September 16th through the 18th. Cost is $150 total. You must be 16 years and up. Those that are under 18 must be accompanied by their dad. I have seven spots left. So if you please go by, you can sign up at the information desk. The deadline is next Sunday. And then one other announcement. Our new teacher slate for next year is in the foyer. Uh, it looks like a trifold. If you go by and get one of those and read over those names, we still need some folks. If you have a heart to, ch to teach children and you feel like that's a, an area you're gifted in, if you would please go by and see Garrett. We still have several in the worship hour where we need slots filled. And so if you would go by, she is down there, uh, Garrett Ensley, as our interim children's director. She's down in the children's area. If you can help with that, uh, please go by and see her. She would love to hear uh, from you on that. We'll vote on these next week uh, to make sure that we have folks in place to begin the new Sunday school year, or community group year in September. But thank you again for being here. Uh, may God uh, just bless our time together in this service. And most of you know the story of this song that we're about to sing, but let me just refresh a little bit. Horatio Spafford found out um, after sending the rest of his family on for a vacation, there was a bad storm, and all four of his daughters perished in that storm. His wife came back, and they were traveling. Um, actually, he was traveling back to meet her. And about the place where that storm occurred and where that capsize occurred, he wrote the words to this song. It is well. Even in the stormy times of your life, it is Let's sing it together. Would you stand with me?
trial and uncertainty and storms in our life, we can raise a hallelujah to our Savior. Let's sing together.
Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Find Mark. Mark chapter 4 in your copy of the scripture as we continue our journey uh, through the shortest of the synoptic gospels. Uh, synoptic meaning similar. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke being the synoptic gospels. Uh, John is not. John is much different. You can see that obviously from reading the four gospels. Uh, Mark is the shortest though. So find Mark chapter 4. We continue going through this gospel. And I've mentioned to you before that Mark is a gospel of action. Over and over again we will read in Mark's gospel the word immediately. Immediately Jesus went to such and such place. And while there he immediately did this or immediately did that. Would you stand for the reading of God's word please? We're talking this morning on the subject matter, peace in life's storms. Peace in life's storms. Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 35. Mark records, on that day when evening had come, uh, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, we need your word. Lord, we've been in the world this week going about our respective duties. We need to come aside and be still and hear your word. And God, as we've already seen in Mark chapter 4, I pray that we would truly hear, that you would give us ears to listen. And as Jesus said in Revelation 2 and 3, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And you've made known to us your word through the words of scripture. Open our minds and hearts. And God, I pray that you would bring peace to that one this morning who desperately needs a message such as this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I like the way Dr. Kent Hughes opens up this chapter in a book 
that he has written on the gospel of Mark. Uh, He records the story, he tells the story there about Moody Monthly, a publication that used to be uh, quite wide in circulation. Moody Monthly uh, reprinted an article that had first been published in 1926. And it's a story telling of God's beautiful watch care over his children. It's the story of a man by the name of Ira Sankey. Now, many of you may have no idea who Ira Sankey was. Let me back up a minute and talk about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was the evangelist of his day that was sort of like Billy Graham of the modern era. And Ira Sankey, just like Uh, George Beverly Shea with Billy Graham Crusades. Ira Sankey was the music evangelist at D.L. Moody Crusades. Their partnership began in 1870 when Moody heard Sankey sing at a Sunday school convention. And from then on they were partners in the gospel ministry and they enjoyed about 25 years together in crusades mainly over Great Britain and that area and the United States. Now here's a true story as is recorded in Moody Monthly. It was Christmas Eve 1875 and Sankey was home in the States and he was traveling on a steamboat up the Delaware River. It was a beautiful starlit evening and many passengers were on the deck of that steamship and they were encouraging Ira Sankey to sing some of the songs from their evangelistic crusades. And so uh, Sankey was going to begin singing some Christmas songs, but he suddenly felt led. He would change that plan, and he would start by singing the song, Savior, like a shepherd lead us. It was a beautiful song in that quiet evening. And when the little mini concert was over, there was a man who stepped out of the crowd and came up to Sankey and said, I want to ask you something. Were you ever a a Union soldier? And Sankey said, yes, I was. I answered the call of President Lincoln and joined the Union Army. He said, were you fighting in 1860? And Sankey said, yes. And this gentleman brought up a particular night that anybody there would have remembered. And he asked Sankey, he said, were you at such and such watch post on that night? And Sankey said, as a matter of fact, I was. And the man went on to say, I was in the Confederate Army And I had perched myself that night just not very far away from you at all. You could not see me, but I could see you in the moonlight. And I raised my rifle, and I was determined to take your life that evening. And then you started singing. 
And you sang this very song. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And you came to that chorus that said, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. And he said, suddenly my mind reflected back to my boyhood years when I would constantly hear my mother singing that beautiful hymn. And I instantly knew that I could not take the life of a Christian gentleman while he was singing that beautiful hymn. And I took my rifle down and I slipped away. As Kent Hughes writes, do you suppose that to be a coincidence? That on that night when Iris Sankey was about to be shot to death, God had him sing the very song that would move his assassin to boyhood memories and so stir his heart that it would be impossible for him to take Sankey's life. Hughes goes on to say, certainly not coincidence, but the obvious sovereign guiding hand of God in watching over his child. And folks, that's what this last episode in Mark chapter 4 is all about. It is about the keeping power of God over his children. And what we see in our text is that God doesn't spare his children from trials in life. But God is able to be with us in the midst of that trial. And he is able to carry us through that trial safely to the other side if he so determines. Now I want us to remember that Mark has been showing Jesus rapidly moving First one place and then another. And everywhere he goes, he's performing miracles and the crowds around Jesus are growing. And the miracles that he is doing are not by coincidence. They're not by accident. All of the miracles that Jesus is doing are intended to show that he indeed is God. He's the Messiah. And he has authority over all things. He has authority over sin. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over demons and over the Sabbath. And here Mark wants us to understand that he even has authority over nature itself. Who can have such authority as this? Only God. And so if Jesus is doing those things that only God can do, then who must Jesus be? He's God. He's God the Son. Now let me say a few introductory remarks about this episode here in particular. This episode may be an allusion back to Psalm 107. In Psalm 107 we see sailors who are crying out to God because of a storm. And the psalmist says that when they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a murmur and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who could do this? Only God. And again, here's Jesus doing the similar thing, what only God can do. Another comment I want you to understand about this episode. There are strong allusions to Jonah. And remember what Jesus said about himself compared to Jonah. 
And Jesus said, a greater one than Jonah is here. Well, we know that Jonah was fast asleep when there was a storm. And the sailors were terrified. They woke Jonah up, they threw Jonah overboard, and the storm ceased. And in response, the sailors were in awe, and they began to worship Jonah's God. Well, here Jesus is not thrown into the sea. He's the one who steals the sea. Remember, he's greater than Jonah. He's the one who made the sea. And when his disciples see what he's done, like the men in the book of Jonah, they are moved by what God has done. But in this case, Jesus is the object of their wonder and amazement and worship. And then likewise, we have very vivid remembrances in this episode given by someone who obviously was there. Remember, Simon Peter is believed to be the source behind Mark's gospel. And we certainly see details in this episode of an eyewitness. Simon remembers all of the other boats that were crossing the Sea of Galilee with them. And Mark records that. He remembers not only that Jesus was fast asleep, but he even remembers that Jesus was curled up on a little cushion. So there are very vivid and personal touches that we see here. But again, folks, don't miss the main point. Jesus has authority over even nature itself. First thing I want you to see with me this morning. Crises occur even for disciples of Jesus. Again, verse 35 says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Jesus and his disciples have had a very busy series of days. Jesus has been teaching and healing in and around the villages of Galilee and Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds have been pushing on him. They've been growing and pushing on him to such an extent that at the beginning of Mark chapter 4, we see that Jesus even has to make a pulpit out of a boat and kind of get off of the shoreline a little bit so he he won't be pressed in so hard on by the by the crowd it's been a busy busy day folks don't ever forget that the Lord's work can be busy it's a joy it's a privilege but it can be taxing it can be exhausting people get tired I want you to notice that even here in this episode Jesus himself gets tired and so what Mark is helping us to see is a glimpse of the humanity of Jesus Christ now in this episode ultimately we're going to see the divinity of Christ that he's over all things because he's God but Mark first tells us about his humanity he is so exhausted after a day of ministry that when he gets in this boat going across the sea of Galilee he curls up on this little cushion and he goes to sleep he's tired he's exhausted now why is that important to us 
Because you and I need to remember that we have a Savior who understands what it's like to walk in our shoes. Hebrews 4 says we have a sympathetic high priest who's experienced everything that we experience yet without sin. And he's experienced all of this so that when we go before him in prayer and we place all of our petitions before him, he understands the circumstances that you and I are going through. He can relate to those circumstances because he's been here and he's walked in our shoes so don't underestimate Mark recording this this little touching uh, detail here that Jesus was asleep it means that nobody can ever go to him and say Lord you have no idea what I'm facing in life Jesus is beat And so he's at the back of the ship, the stern of the ship, and he's fast asleep. And Mark tells us that a fierce gale, a fierce storm comes up suddenly on the Sea of Galilee. And Mark uses a word that can refer to a squall. This is a bad storm, perhaps much worse than even usual storms. The Sea of Galilee was known for these. The Sea of Galilee is 628 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains that are about 4,000 feet uh, high above sea level. Mountains with deep ravines. As the warm air lifts off of the sea in the evening and is met by cold blast of air coming down over the mountains. It's said that there are tremendous storms that can come up suddenly on the Sea of Galilee. Especially at certain times of the year. So one of these storms has come up and and here's this little band of ships, little boats and they're stranded now. There is this ship that Jesus and his disciples are in. It was a fishing vessel that would hold about 15 people and there's other little boats around them and as, as verse 36 points out there there was this little multitude of ships crossing the sea and we're told that the disciples were scared now folks I want you to remember something these guys are rugged fishermen They have spent their lives, they have spent their careers out on the Sea of Galilee. They've no doubt been through many of these storms before. And yet for some reason or another, this one in particular has them fearful for their very lives. It must have been a particularly bad one. Was this a storm whipped up by God so that men would come to learn the identity of his son? Or as some commentators point out, because of a word in verse 39 when it says that Jesus stilled the storm, he quieted the storm. It's the same word used in the gospels oftentimes of Jesus casting out demons and making demons to be quiet. And so maybe this was a storm not whipped up by God at all. Maybe it was a storm whipped up by the devil himself to try to destroy Jesus. 
That wouldn't be so unusual because remember when Jesus was born, Satan worked through Herod to try to find the baby Jesus. So Herod could find the baby Jesus and put him to death. So was this something like that? Again, we don't know. Whether it's from God or the devil, we're not told that. But what we're supposed to see is that these fishermen who've been through this many times are particularly scared of this one. And what we need to understand is we need to see that these were none other than Jesus' disciples. This was the little band of disciples that Jesus himself had chosen. They were his followers. They belonged to him. And yet they were scared to death. They were fearful of their very lives. Now why do I mention this? Because there's a brand of Christianity today and it's often seen in charismatic circles and I don't want to pick on them but that's where it's usually seen that if you are an, if you are an obedient follower of Jesus Christ you're not supposed to have any hardship or suffering in your life. If you're sick, if you're going through a trial, if you're going through a, a bad experience in life it's because you've sinned. You're not spiritual enough. There's something wrong wrong with you and folks we know that that is not true to the scripture here were Jesus disciples with Jesus himself in this boat and they're experiencing this storm satanic attack test from the Lord we don't know but what we do know is they're in the middle of it and they're scared to death. And you know what it's a reminder to you and me? Uh, it's a reminder that we can be clicking along just fine one day in our lives. And the very next day, even as a devoted follower of Christ, the bottom can drop out. And you can be in for the trial of your life. Folks, don't you ever think that something strange is happening to you. This is the normal Christian life. We experience trials and tribulations. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your faith. It doesn't mean that, that there's some sin in your life that has brought this into your life. It's a part of living in a fallen world. And I'll have more to say about that in a moment. But all of a sudden, unexpectedly, a storm of this nature can come up that shakes you to your very core. I'll never forget when I was an associate pastor over in Gaston County. There was a young lady about to graduate from high school visiting our church. And she lived in Cherryville. Now, if you're from Gaston County, you don't say Cherryville the way it's spelled. You say Cherryville. And she was from Cherville. So me and another man got in a car one night and we were going to visit this young lady and her family. And as we sat with that family, what a beautiful family they were. They were a very dedicated Lutheran family. And this young lady was about to graduate that week as the valedictorian of her class. 
And they sat there and shared about all the scholarship opportunities that she had had and which college she had chosen. And we were talking to her about what she was going to be doing in her life. And she was telling us all of that. And then we asked her about her faith in Christ. And, and she gave the most beautiful testimony I think a young lady could give about her conversion. And we had a wonderful visit. We prayed with this family and we left. The week went on and all of a sudden that man ran up to me at church one day and he said did you hear about that young lady killed on the Cherville Highway and I said no I didn't read about it he said it was that young lady that you and I visited last week she was going to school one morning she had some type of seizure disorder she had not taken her medication before leaving home. She was driving down that little two-lane country highway, headed to class. And she popped open the pill bottle. Uh, it, this is what they were able to sort of put together happened. And, and she was dumping out uh, one of her pills. And, and they said it looked like, because she'd closed everything up, she had probably dropped the pill and she'd reached down to pick it up and... Uh, by the way, they knew this because there was an eyewitness in the car who survived. She reached down in the floorboard and she picked up this pill. And when she did, she veered off the road and she overcorrected and the car flipped. And this young lady died while the passenger was just fine. Folks, think of that. How things can just come up like that. A visit to the doctor, a telephone call about a child or a grandchild. And all of a sudden, you are in the worst crisis or the worst storm of your life. And you wonder why? Because you're a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And you think, I, I, I thought something like this wasn't supposed to happen to me. Folks, you and I need to understand we live in a fallen world. When Genesis 3 occurred and Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the Bible tells us that everything in all of creation was affected. Sin entered the very created order. Paul says in Romans 8 that all of creation is groaning and longing for the day of the redemption of the children of God because in that day, not only will we experience the consummation of our salvation, but creation itself will be redeemed. We will be in the new heavens and the new earth. But until then, we live in a fallen world. And that's why bad things can happen. Tornadoes happen. Hurricanes happen. Car accidents happen. Bad things happen in a fallen world. A sweet little child can have a brain tumor and die from that brain tumor. Suffering happens. Evil happens. And the skeptic says, why doesn't God fix this? If God is there, why doesn't God do something about it? And folks, we see in the Bible that God is doing something about it. 
It's what the redemption storyline in the Bible is all about. Adam and Eve sinned and here's God pursuing them and saying, Adam, where are you? And God provided for their sin. And then all through the Old Testament, God provided a sin sacrifice that would point forward to that perfect sacrifice that he himself would give one day. Even when the prophets would come to the people of God and reprimand, reprimand them and preach a hellfire and damnation type sermon to them, that was an expression of God's love because God was trying to draw his people back to him. And then in the New Testament, he sends his very own son to be that perfect sin sacrifice who will redeem us, who will pay the price once and for all for our redemption and we, when he ascends back to the Father he's preparing a place for us and one of these days he's coming back for us it's what the redemption storyline in the Bible is all about God is doing something about this messed up world and God is going to deal with it one day finally and completely. The Bible goes from a garden to a garden. But the next garden is not going to be a garden where sin and Satan can enter into it. Sin and Satan will never be factored in again. And hallelujah, the saints of God will be in God's presence. God is carrying out this plan in human history, according to his perfect timing. But folks, until then, you and I experience trial and tribulation. I don't care how devoted to Christ you may be. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me over to James chapter 1 for just a moment. James talks about this. James chapter 1, beginning there in verse 2. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says when you meet various uh, trials, and the word he uses there is when you fall among various trials. You're just going along, you're clicking along in life, and everything's going great. And all of a sudden, boom, you fall into a trial. It's the same word that's used in the parable of the Good Samaritan when the guy fell among thieves and robbers. We just fall among trials. And they're various kinds. But I want you to notice what James says God is doing. God is using these trials in your life. He's testing you and me. And he's producing steadfastness in us. And we're to let that have its full effect. That we might be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. God's got a purpose in all these trials. You read in 1 Peter, and Peter compares these trials to the ancient practice of smelting gold. The way they would, they would put the gold uh, in there, and they would heat up the furnace, 
to such a high degree that all the impurities would, would go to the top and they would pour that off. They would keep putting the heat to it and they would pour off more and more of the dross, those impurities, until they ended up with a pure piece of gold. And, and Peter points out, you're worth much more than gold. And God is sometimes bringing these trials and crises into your life and my life to make us more pure, more mature and complete in our faith. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, talks about a trial that he had. Here's the greatest ambassador for Christ probably ever lived. The Apostle Paul himself. And yet he says that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And the word for thorn there is a big dagger, a big stake. It's not like a little thorn on a thorn bush. And Paul says, you know, I'll be going along in my ministry and all of a sudden this thing will affect me. And I prayed three times for God to take it away. And God didn't take it away. God had a purpose in leaving it. Because God said, my grace is going to be made complete in your weakness. And Paul, you're going to learn dependence upon me through this. So folks, don't ever let anybody tell you if you're a Christian, everything in your life is supposed to be going great. The absence of any difficulties. Christ himself said, in this world you will have tribulation. I think part of what this is intended to do, it's to make us long ever more greatly for our heavenly home where we won't be experiencing all of this. But in this world we'll have tribulation. Trials come from living in a fallen world. And some of those trials, it may be the devil doing something in your life. Some of your trials, it may be God himself is doing something in your life. But it's common for believers to have crises. Second thing I want you to say, cries of panic and fear often arise in us during these times of crisis. Look at verse uh, 38 again, what, what Mark records for us. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I want you to notice how intense their cry is. And notice the contrast that Mark is showing us here between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is asleep. The disciples are in a state of absolute panic. And they wake him up and immediately they just blurt out this accusation. Lord, don't you care? Have you ever been through something in your life, a crisis? And you're praying and you're like, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. Do you not care about me? God, do you not see what I'm going through? Do you not see what's happening? Do you not care? Have you ever thought anything like that? Sure you have. It's an interesting question that 
we ask the Lord sometimes. But folks, if he didn't care, there would have never been the incarnation of Jesus in the first place. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus because he cares. And look at his common grace around us every day. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, He makes his sunshine to fall on the just and the unjust. He makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. His common grace is poured out on people who never even acknowledge him. Folks, God cares. God cares. You look all through the Bible and you see God's care. I mentioned Adam and Eve a moment ago. Here's God pursuing them even after they sinned. Here are the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt. They're crying out to God. And the book of Exodus said God heard their cries. And he had compassion on them. And he sent them a deliverer. You go all down through the Old Testament. You come to the New Testament. Through both Testaments you see God doing things that demonstrates his care for us. If he didn't care for us, he'd just let us go our own way. And aren't you glad he doesn't do that? The whole Bible is a living testimony to the fact that we serve a caring God. And so I find it quite interesting that when we get into trouble, the first thing we want to do sometimes is blame God for for not caring enough. Listen, whatever you're going through in your life right now, however difficult it may be, I want to tell you, God cares. He cares for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He even has all the hairs on your head numbered. He knows everything about you and he's working out his plan. He cares for you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, we can cast all of our care upon him for he cares for us. Yes, you may go through trials. But like James says, in the midst of that trial, you can ask God for wisdom to make it through. And God wants to give you His wisdom to make it through, again, because He cares for you. Aren't you glad for God's compassion? Third thing I want you to see, the calm that only Christ can bring to believers' hearts. Look at verses 39 and 40. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What's Mark showing us? Jesus is Lord over creation. He's Lord over all. He has authority over all things. Folks, remember what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and following that Jesus is the agent of all of creation. That carries us all the way back to Genesis 1.1 when we're told back in Genesis 1.1 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light. All members of the Godhead were back there at the creation. The Father speaking, the The Spirit hovering over the waters. And Paul says it was the Son 
who is the agent of creation. Jesus made everything. He made the wind. He made the water. That's why one time he could walk on the water like it was pavement. He made the water. He made the sun, made the rain. He created everything. He didn't create all of these elements so all these elements of the creation would gang up on him and kill him. He made all these things. Why are the disciples panicking so much? They need to understand who it is that they have with them. Jesus is with them. And it's already beginning to dawn on them, and it's fully dawned on some of them, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why they're following him. He's more than just a normal rabbi. He's the son of the living God, and he's with them. Have they forgotten that all all of a sudden? And they also need to remember it's Jesus who got them into this thing. Because Jesus said, while they were still on the other side, come on guys, get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. Had they ever known anything Jesus said not come to pass? No. And he's with them now and he said, we're going to the other side. He's true to his word. He's faithful. And they had Christ with them they didn't need to panic folks let's face it most of the time when we panic when we're in a a difficult spot we're in a trial or we're in a crisis it's easy to forget who we have with us Jesus is with us Jesus has said I will never leave you nor forsake you I will not leave you as orphans. He said that to his disciples when he was getting ready to depart from their presence. He said, guys, I am not going to leave you. I will be with you. And I'm going to pray to the Father. And he's going to send the Spirit. And I will be with you wherever you go and whatever you do. Folks, there is not a moment of your life or a moment of my life, if you're a child of God, that your life is not in his hands. He has you in his hands. He knows what you're up against. He knows what you're facing. And he is with you. Remember what Isaiah said about him in Isaiah 9-6? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He's everything and more that you and I could ever need. And he's with us. Don't forget that. He doesn't keep us from the storm. He might even lead you into the storm. But he'll go with you. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, you need to let that sink in. You're thinking he doesn't care for you. He cares for you. And he's with you. We need to have faith that his hand will not lead us where his grace will not sustain us. And folks, that's not just some kind of little fancy cliche. It's the truth. 
His hand will not lead us where His grace will not sustain us. And then look at how Mark closes. Verse 41, They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Slowly it's beginning to dawn on them evermore who it is that they're dealing with. This is the Lord of glory. This is God's Messiah. And He's with them. What's some takeaways today? Number one, you and I will encounter storms of life. You might be in one right now. Again, is it from God? Is it from the devil? We don't know. It might just be from living in a fallen world. We don't always know the origin of the trials we're in. But what we do know is living in a fallen world, we're going to encounter trials. We're not spared. So again, I want to say to you, don't think it's strange. It's the normal Christian life. A second takeaway, it's critical as we encounter storms that we realize Jesus is with us. He was in the boat with them. Where is the good shepherd? He is with his sheep. No wonder King David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The shepherd is with his sheep. Folks, the God of the Bible is nothing like the gods, the false gods of the pagan peoples around Israel. And the false gods of the Greeks and the Romans. Especially the Greeks and the Romans sometimes believe that their false gods were even sitting up in heaven, conferring with one another, slinging lightning bolts down on us, slinging cruel things down on us, and just laughing because they were making us suffer. That's not the God of the Bible. He's nothing like that. He has a holy character. A just character. He's loving and He cares. You and I can trust Him with our lives. We can trust Him with every detail of life. It's just who He is. A third takeaway, we need to see that Jesus is Lord over all. And you know what that means? That means if he hasn't erased a problem from your life, if he hasn't erased a trial from your life, there must be something he's trying to teach you through that. And you know what? It's probably not going to go away until you learn what it is he's trying to teach you. And so you need to have a teachable spirit and see what God might be trying to do in your life through that hardship. Say, Lord, teach me, show me, and grow me through this. That's what God desires. Would you pray with me this morning, please? Father, we're so grateful that you are the God who is in the storms with us. <clears throat> you're not aloof. You're not uncaring. You're not disconnected 
from your created order. You're not disconnected from us. You're with us. God, help us to remember that. Lord, there's nothing that's in our lives that hasn't first of all been sifted through your loving fingers. God, teach us what you want us to learn. Grow us. Help us. May we never accuse you of not loving us or not caring for us. And may we never have the attitude some people seem to think we ought to have that if we're a follower of Christ, we shouldn't have bad things happen. Father, the bad, the evil, the suffering we see in this world only increases our longing for heaven. And thank you that one of these days, all of these storms, all of these trials that we currently are exposed to will be over. And we will be in your presence for all of eternity. But God, until then, help us not to take our eyes off of you. We're in your hands. And there's no better place to be than that. Lord, I pray that that will speak indeed to somebody this morning that it'll be an encouragement to them to depend upon you all the more for the one here this morning who is outside of Christ Lord they don't have these same assurances you're working in their lives to draw them to your son but Lord, they need to experience what having Christ in their lives is all about. May they come to Christ. And it may be as they look back, it's the trial that you used to draw them to yourself. To break them, to get them to the end of their rope so that they would finally look to you. God, this morning, help them to look. Help them to look to Christ and be saved. And we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.